welcome to episode 42 of Running Matters. I'm Paul Hutfield. We're coming to you today from Gaimi Allied Health Centre. Missing in action today is Matt the Wolfman North. He's decided to join the ranks of the gainfully employed and he's lasted four days longer than his fleeting real estate career, so he was unable to make it today. I'm sure that it'll be a thing of the past by next episode, so never fear, the wolf will be back. We're only four short weeks out from the surf coast century, so the training volume has hit its peak and we're starting the roll into Anglesey. Our special guest today is Rowan Browning. Thanks for giving up your time today, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries. So before we get into it, I'd just like to thank our partners at Running Matters, Runella, Goo Energy, Guy Me Allard Health, Surf Coast Century and Fractel Running Caps. And in some very exciting news, we've just added a new partner to the Running Matters stable. So I'm pleased to announce that Sydney Brewery has come on board as a partner. I'm currently tucking into the Pado Pale Ale and they've got about 13 or 14 different styles to work through. So without my mate the Wolf to help me out, it could be a long afternoon. So we're organising some giveaways from Sydney Brewery over the next couple of weeks and also having a catch up with the, at the Surrey Hills Bar. So keep an eye out on Instagram and Facebook for the details there. I'd also like to thank Jimmy Carroll for doing the editing behind the scenes. Thank you, Jimmy. All right, Rowan, you're a semi-finalist in the 100 metres of the 2018 Com Games. You're officially the third fastest Australian of all time with an amazing 10.08 seconds earlier this year. And you're off to represent Australia at the World Championships in Doha in October. When did you realise you were really, really fast? Hmm. Well, it's funny I ask that. I mean, I never really did little athletics when I was a kid. Yeah. I did one year and I didn't enjoy it. I was always going to be a team sports kind of guy. Yeah. That's why I love the relay. And I've always loved sort of being a part of the relay team. But um, well, I think I realised that I was not bad. I realised that I had a bit of toe when I was probably about in primary school. Okay. And I won a few races for the yeah. first time, probably in year six. Yeah. At like our school carnival. And then it wasn't until I was 16 that I sort of started training in a, in a full-time capacity, I suppose, you know, upwards of yeah. twice a week. Yeah. Mm. And, and so you were throughout school playing team sports, typically? Rugby, yeah. soccer? Yeah, rugby was a big one. I played a lot of soccer when I was a kid. I tried my hand at cricket, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the patience for it. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm in an event now where you only need a 10-second attention span. You know, at any one given time. So, cricket was never going to be my game. It's a long day. It's a long day, yeah. And I was just too ADHD for that. But, um, yeah, I played a bit of baseball. and Rugby was a big one. That's what I played in high school. That's mm-hmm. what, I, sort of, what I loved. And so, during high school, did you start your, I guess, um, full-time athletics training or you know, more, more intense sort of athletics training? Or was it after high school you started all that? It was until the end of year 11. Mm-hmm. And I played, I played in like my school second 15 through winter. And I, I, I ran at the start of that year at the like Australian Junior Championships in the under-18s and I just made the final. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't much of a contender, I think. I had run 11-1, mm-hmm. you know, 11.17 or 18 or something like that at the start yeah. of the year. You know, that was sort of like around April, mm-hmm. March, April. And then played rugby through the off-season, you know, went to the gym a lot, just enjoyed sport. And I think grew a lot, got a lot stronger very quickly, just mm-hmm. as you can do when you're 16 because, cool. you know, you just go through puberty. Mm-hmm. And by... September when we had our inter-school carnival CAS, I'd run 
10.90 for the first time. That was my first time under 11 seconds. And then within like two months after that, I'd run 10.47, 10.37 mm. wind assisted. Then I ran 10.18 wind assisted. In the same year? All in the same year, yeah. Wow. So like April to December. And then by December, I ran that 10.18 wind yeah. assisted. So like from, from April, 11.1 mm. one to 10.1 wind assisted by December, it was just bizarre. And is this off the back of, you know, a huge change in training or is this purely just growth? At the, at the right time I think it was just growth and a little bit of training and a, bit, mm. a focus on with a sort of a longer term focus on technical training so before mm. that I'd done all the stuff that I've done with my coach mm. was te- technique focus rather than volume based strength based sort of stuff exactly yeah so the strength that I had from the gym I had from playing rugby mm. and just doing my own gym stuff the technical base that I had developed through training from when I was about 14 mm. training once or twice a week meant that I had a sort of relatively strong technical base Mm. and then when I went and that sort of came together and you know I guess I hit puberty late Mm. got strong and it all came together I was I was running really well but you had the technical base to make that happen at the time yeah and it was tough after that because I didn't actually run you know I ran 1018 when I was 16 Mm. and then I thought oh well then by the time I'm 19 20 I'll be running like sub 10 Yeah, yeah you know I felt like that just makes sense it'll just happen that's right but you know I didn't run 10 1 again until I was that was 2014. I didn't run 10-19. My first time running like 10-1 legally mm. until I was 20. Okay, another four years. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, I, I progressed through that time, but mm-hmm. it took a long time to get there yeah. properly. Mate, that's, that's, that's a quick start though. It's impressive. Yeah. So, I know your dad, Andrew, pretty well, and he seems adamant that the speed genes don't come from him. So, just how fast is your mum, Elizabeth? Mmm... Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think mum was relatively sporty. Yeah. But I don't know if she was a great sportswoman. Mm-hmm. And I think dad was just pretty useless. <laughs> so, I mean, you treat him, right? He's like a rock. He's just... He is a rock. He can't even barely move. <laughs> He's useless. <laughs> a lot of fast switch muscle fibers in that man, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. There must have been something there. Well, there's got to be something. I don't know. It's interesting. I have no idea. My, my dad's brother, Alan, my mm-hmm. uncle Alan, I think was quite athletic. Okay. And I think he was legitimately very good, but n- sort of never had the opportunity. I think he, he ran, you know, he'd run high school carnivals barefoot. Okay. Because he didn't want to wear shoes yeah. and he'd win. Yeah, wow. And then beyond that, it's sort of hard to compete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. The spikes come in at some point. Yeah, at some point you're going to wear spikes if you want to... There you go. Foot at the best. <laughs> So, mate, there's, there's plenty of debate in the ultra-running world over when is an acceptable time to pop the bonnet. So, the sprint game looks like a bonnet-popping bonanza. Yeah. Are there any rules here? So, who should, who shouldn't, when it's okay to do so? What's it like for you guys? <laughs> That's a great question. I'd say there are no rules. It's, it's a jungle. It's absolutely <laughs> a jungle. Because, like, we will... We will... <laughs> We'll get it out in the middle of winter, like all year round. We like I'm very lucky that we train at a private gym. Yeah. At to, to like with the school and that when I, when I, the school that I went to yeah, Trinity, yeah. and because uh, it's like closed off to the public, and we mm. train in there. It's just us. Like we'll get it off in the gym, we'll get it off on the track in the middle of winter. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> sometimes when it's raining, especially when it's raining, well, like that's when it's most fun. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. So, uh, 
I've, I've got this idea. If, if it's if it's a jungle, then there's a you know there's a hierarchy there. So, is it important to get the kid off in front of the distance guys, but maybe not in front of the javelin throwers because that'll be fairly intimidating, I guess. I think that I think the only rule is you you got to earn the right to get it off. So if you're out of shape, keep it on. Okay, that's perfect <laughs> for yeah. the sprinters. It keeps you honest. Yeah, that's good advice. I like that. <laughs> you, you listening to that, Judge? <laughs> good. And you know when you're out of out of shape, out of nick. <laughs> oh, that's perfect, mate. Um, you coached by three-time Olympic triple jumper Andrew Murphy. You guys seem to have a really special relationship. What uh, is it about Andrew that gets the best out of you? Yeah, Murphy and I have a very, very close personal relationship that's developed. I mean, he was the one who got me into the sport to begin with. When I when I went to Trinity in year nine in twenty twelve, mm-hmm. you know, I was like a fourteen year old kid, and he's taken me from that fourteen year old kid who'd who'd never trained in track and field ever. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been my only ever coach, my only ever influence in the sport. And now he's taking me through to, you know, 21 and mm. been to the Commonwealth Games, going to the World Champs, been to the World Champs, you know, and hopefully the Olympics next year. So for me, I know that everything that I am as an athlete, I, I owe to him and his coaching, his mentoring. Um, yeah, I mean, in many ways, Murph is, he sort of plays a lot of roles. You know, he's a very, he's a coach, first and foremost. And he's also a very, you know, good friend and mentor. Mm. Um, I'm very lucky. His wife, Liz, is, is the greatest woman in the world as well mm. and uh, they've just got such a beautiful family so I'm very lucky that you know I've developed that relationship with them over time but he's a fantastic coach and he's, he's very technically minded very you know technically focused mm. and he just knows his stuff yeah. I think um, I think half of coaching is it, it, it's very personal right so I think that the best coaches in the world are able to first and foremost have a good technical understanding mm. and be able to program like that's that's a no-brainer, but then we squeeze that last bit out of high performance is that personal relationship, and mm. so that you know when I turn up to training, Murph can watch me and know that I look a bit off today, so we're going to change the session and do something else. You know, and he's always he'll ask me about my personal life and things that are going on, and I'm very comfortable talking to him about that, and we can work out training based on that and how I'm feeling, what my sleep's like. And that's the best thing for avoiding injury. Yeah. Yeah, moderating really, that intensity based yeah, on just, other factors. Yeah, just being really attuned to all those things. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, is, is he able to come over to Doha later in the year to coach you, or are you bound by the Aussie team environment there? It's a good question. It's very, very difficult for personal coaches to get accreditation unless they're team coaches. Mm. So I'm not sure. We've sort of discussed it. It's hard as well. I mean, he, he's employed through Trinity, he coaches through Trinity, so uh, the CAS schools competition is just before Doha okay. so he has to you know he'll be focused on that leading in whereas I'll go to Europe and base out of Veracy most likely where the AIS European Training Centre is mm-hmm. Athletics Australia have a team camp there yeah. a little bit before Worlds mm-hmm. so I think as well Murph's the kind of coach that he's 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 a he's such a great coach for a self-motivated athlete and you've got to be self-motivated if you want to make it in this sport because you don't have a team to mm. to sort of hold you accountable you've got to be accountable to yourself you know and he's a very relaxed sort of guy so um, for that reason you know for me as an athlete he sort of taught me to be very independent mm. accountable to myself so you know I think now I'm very capable of going somewhere and uh, on my own 
and being fine mm. and being sort of robust enough to face challenges and you know warm up and compete on my own yeah I mean t- talking to you previously before the interview you seem to have a really good uh, knowledge of the science knowledge of the psychology knowledge of the mechanics behind what you're doing so I guess he's instilled all that in you so you can be an independent runner so yeah. well he's yeah he's just a very smart guy and you know he's he's been there and done it and very you don't have to have been a great athlete to be a good coach mm. but it definitely adds another element you know he can just talk to me about things like if I'm pissed off because I've gone through months and months of injury mm. you know he can ask me like just where my head's at mm. and he can talk me through just personal anecdotes times in his career where he yeah. faced things that were so much tougher than what I've done and it just puts it into perspective yeah yeah very good and, and so uh, how often does he try to tempt you over to the dark side of triple jumping there <laughs> none <laughs> he thinks uh, he always like I've said to him you know I, was, I like make comments at training you know if I got off the board doing a long jump at top speed I reckon I could jump over seven metres type thing just you know just to piss off everybody in the squad and wind them all up and uh, he just says, he just says I'm too soft for it. <laughs> you could land two or three times, just no. the once. I could jump once, but uh, he says I'd break down after that or I'd be injured. <laughs> too precious. Sprinting prima donna. Yeah. yeah, like that's it. I mean, that, it's it's the same with the tops off, right? Like sprinters are just precious. Like <laughs> They love, love themselves. I love the self-awareness, <laughs> mate. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Mate, what, what would the conditions be like in sunny Doha for the worlds? So I've got um, images of 50 degree desert in my head. What's it, mm. it going to be like over there? It's going to be hot mm. and humid. Mm. And that's good. That's great for running fast. Mm-hmm. You know, like the distance guys hate it, but mm-hmm. we love it. But the, I think the tough thing is just going from Australian winter to that heat. So I'm going to have to do some sessions to acclimatise a little bit. And like I said, it's less important for the sprinters because... You're out on the track, you're done in 10 seconds, and then you can recover. But I think the marathon's starting at midnight and going through to 2am or something. Is that right? Uh, don't quote me on that, but, oh, well, I mean, mate, it's in a podcast, so it is perfect. quoted. <laughs> I think it's something like that, yeah. Okay. Um, like something sort of a bit crazy. That's but insane. Wow. That would be tough. But yeah. I, I think even the hundreds, like the finals run at like 10pm at night or something. Okay. And, and so what are you doing within your training to try to simulate that condition? Why you're in Australia? Well, at this stage, nothing because we're still far enough out yeah. that it's too much of an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. But going to Varese mm-hmm. will be a big thing because it's just you know acclimatising to a bit of heat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do heat chamber sessions on bikes and things like that. But again, it's sort of for us, you know, that sort of aerobic work in a heat chamber is not. Mm-hmm. It's just not what I do. Yeah, I guess the energy so, system doesn't come into it, does it? Yeah, so. that's right. So it's not like... I think the biggest thing for me is that the warm-up track is going to be hot. Mm-hmm. Then the the cool room is going to be hot. But then the stadium's going to be con- air-conditioned. And they've got oh, this right. monstrous air-conditioning system in. Okay, so roof over the top or...? Yeah, I think so. Wow. I just know they've got these huge vents that look like... I don't know if they can set it to a, like a 2.0 meter tail wind or something, but that, that's sort of what it looks like, right? It looks like it's capable of that. Perfect. So, but it's just, I think it's getting used to that. Yeah. So it's just thing, the biggest thing is just making sure that I adapt to my warm up so that, you know, if it takes me an hour to warm up, mm. I might be able to warm up in 30, 40 minutes because I can do fewer drills and if I do too much, I'll just be exhausted. Just cooked. Yeah, yeah cooked. Yeah, okay. 
No, it's good. And so, I mean, with that long distance versus sprint game, they, they often talk about records being broken at about 10 degrees Celsius. So what's the optimum temperature for speed then? How hot do you want it to be? For me, hotter is better yeah. because I, I Murph, coming from that jumps background, has always conditioned me to, be, to think that when you go out to race, you don't just want to be... People talk, talk about, you know, don't get cold, but it, it shouldn't be about not getting cold. It should be about being stinking hot yeah. because you want to be warm, you know, ready to go. Um, so I, you know, when I race in Australia in the summer season, people, you know, you might see me get behind the line up behind the blocks and I'll have tracksuits on and it'll be like upwards of 27 degrees mm-hmm. because uh, you want to be hot yeah. and that makes me feel good. Yeah. It makes me feel loose. It makes me feel like I'm ready to run. Um, as well as I just think there's something that I like about kind of taking off the layers and getting in that sort of mind frame yeah, to, yeah. to race. Um, yeah, so for me, hot is better. Okay. There's a certain amount of humidity that I think is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then obviously tailwind. But um, the interesting thing about tailwind that I found out was that I always thought the tailwind pushed you along. Mm. But apparently what I heard is that what it actually does is it pushes the air molecules out in less, front of less you. Resistance. So there's less resistance. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty cool. I don't either. I guess it's not strong enough to push you along, is it? Like yeah. Two, 2.0 metres per second. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, whatever works, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a lot of distance guys live and die by their weekly running volume. So, how far do you reckon you would actually run during a regular week, mate? Well, if I walked you through a training week, mm-hmm. that's probably the best way to do it. I do Monday. I'll do a gym session. I'll do some sort of prehab, rehabilitative stuff, a bit of physio, and then in the evening I'll do my. A, like a speed gym session focusing on lifting fast mm-hmm. and trying to move the bar really quickly. Tuesday, I'll do some pull and then I'll do some like what we call a hack session. It's just like filler, right? It's just like, it's not crap, mm-hmm. but it's not quality. Okay. It's just keeping things ticking over, a bit of volume in the legs, like tempo running, you know, yeah. but it might be like 10, 100 meters worth of tempo. Okay. You know, um, so you're still not pushing out the, the distance in those tempo sense no, it's like 65% yeah. slow yeah. because we're very much of the opinion that you're either running upwards of 85% and doing quality work yeah. or you're running 65% or lower and recovering never in that grey zone no that's just crap for us that's just waste yeah. um, you know it's different if I was playing rugby sevens yeah. or if I was doing distance running mm. completely different but for us you know you're on mm. or you're off yeah, yeah so you're training or recovering uh Wednesday, now I do another gym session, some more prehab stuff, some lifts, and then some pool again in the afternoon. Thursday, I'll do a track session, and that'll be one of only two track sessions a week. Okay. That's all I've ever sort of been able to handle, really, mm-hmm. because it just takes me a long time to recover from those quality hits. Yeah. Um, and if you're not properly recovered, then you're just sort of wasting your time, mm-hmm. you know, running sub-maximally. Just doing jump Ks. Just doing, yeah, that's right. Mm. And that session, well, Ks is a stretch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say I quite hit the Ks. <laughs> jump metres. Yeah, that's right. right. You know, because then say Thursday on that session, it depends on what we're doing. And we'll either rotate acceleration work, top speed work, which might be like flying runs, you know, maximum velocity type stuff, mm. and speed endurance. Mm-hmm. And if we were doing, say, speed endurance on that Thursday, we could do anything from 
150s through to 20 second time runs for distance, 30 second time runs, 40 second time runs for distance, just depending on the time of the year. Okay. Right now we're doing 30 second time runs. Mm. Last week I was doing five of them yeah. off, you know, four minutes recovery through to 10 minutes recovery alternating. So, you know, fill up with lactic, mm-hmm. then run again. So quality run and a bit of a tougher one, recover over 10, 15 minutes, fill up with lactic, quicker hit yeah. that sort of thing um, you know and I might hit for 30 second runs I might hit like upwards of 250 metres mm-hmm. it depends on how many we're doing with recoveries and we'll manipulate that yeah. based on the quality that we want okay but so that's my biggest 40 second run would be your longest 40 second run individual long. rep yeah, yeah. And, and I know that when we do time trials for that you know we, we'll start off in the middle of winter we'll do 6 of them mm. that's the most running volume I'll do okay. at the moment six 40 second runs off and they might all be off four to six minutes and you know I might hit sort of I don't know three ten to 320 meters for six and then it drops down by the time we're doing four of those I'm doing maybe like three 30 meters you know three thirty okay. three forty like and then by the time I do a one rep max of those, and all the data I have on that is, you know, I can hit 360 meters for one 40 second run. One 40 second Okay. Which is funny because you might remember that I ran a 400 meter earlier yeah. in the season, and yeah. I ran, and I went out so hard, and I ran 360 meters in 40 seconds. <laughs> in because I, was, I knew that I could do that. Yeah, yeah. And I'd done it before, and I did that. But I never run that last 40 meters. <laughs> you know, so Murph's going to me going, mate, if you can get to the 360 in 40 seconds, you're on track to run, a f- you know, with a flying start, you're on track to run 40 your arms in the air. That's right. You relax, just relax. <laughs> it's easy. And you should be able to run 44, worst case scenario, 45 second 400. And yeah. it's like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> because... So there's a know, sniper in the, in the that's trees right, there. Yeah, because that last... Because that's the thing I hit... I hit the 360 in 40 seconds and the last 40 metres with a flying start took me over 7 seconds. Oh, really? Which is disgraceful. So the gorilla jumped on your back. Yeah, big time. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's painful, mate. Sounds horrible. (laughs) But then through Friday, I'll lift again, um, do some more pool, Pilates, maybe another physio session. Mm -hmm. Saturday is my rest day now. Mm. Feet up, relax, don't even think about it. And then Sunday we'll be back at the track again doing one of those three sessions. Two track sessions a week. I mean, I know for me, to be one of the best sprinters in the world, Mm. I need to be able to get through more training load because the best guys in the world are doing four track sessions a week. You know, and they're recovering quickly. Mm -hmm. They're just a bit stronger and a bit more robust than what I am right now. Yeah. Okay. So, you know. We'll talk about a couple of reasons there shortly. But yeah, Yeah. that's interesting. So probably three, three running sessions per week and then the rest of it. Yeah. Preparing to run, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And we always prioritise those running sessions. That's the number. That's you know, that's king. Mm-hmm. And so, what about with your with your strength work? Are you doing much really heavy stuff, or is it all just explosive kind of work? Yeah, I've always been the sort of runner that I respond very well to the heavier work, and I've always been a mm-hmm. strong guy. Mm-hmm. Like I've been able to lift very well. So, the most weight I move would be. You know, I used to squat, but I stopped squatting a few years ago because I pinched my hip mm-hmm. and I had to get a cortisone. And from then, we just went almost exclusively to single leg work in the gym. Yeah. You know, now I'll do stuff on the leg press. But I really love Bulgarian split squats. That's probably my favorite exercise in the gym. Mm-hmm. And I'll load them up to sort of upwards of 200 kilo single leg, really? you know, for sort of 
maybe you know four or five reps. We're not moving very deep. No, no, no. Because I just move through that sort of specific joint range. What you need on the track. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because even when you accelerate, that sort of uh, degree of sort of knee and hip flexion isn't that high. No. no. So, you know, it's funny. Like, I'd be very, very strong through certain joint ranges. Mm. And then you get any deeper, and I'd probably be pretty weak. Just collapse. Well, yeah, because I just never do it. Yeah. You don't need it. Yeah, that's right. It's perfect. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so most of the blokes I run with, they get out of the car, they wait just long enough for their garment to pick up a little satellite connection, and then they bolt off onto the trails. So warm-up is a completely foreign concept to them. Yeah. So how long does a typical warm-up take for you before you get into that specific? Uh, easily over an hour. Okay. I'd spend, for a lot of tracks, I'd spend more time warming up than actually running. Yeah. Um, because normally I'll get there, I'll do something. I'll do some banded stuff or some rolling, some trigger points, just so that I feel good mm. and I can move. And then I'll move into some aerobic running, some tempo. Um, and it's a good way. Tempo is just a good way to get some contacts in on the mm. on your legs, you mm. know, lo- very low impact. So we'll do that. You know, I might do six 100s, just jog easy, build them up a little bit. Some banded stuff, hip mobility, um, joint mobility has been really crucial for me. I don't stretch at all. Mm. I don't do any static stretching. Like mm. You would never see me static stretch, especially before a track session. Um, but I always try and keep it pretty dynamic. And then we do some sort of yeah, more dynamic stuff, some drills, lots of hoppy, skippy type stuff, just you know, warming up the Achilles because I had a little Achilles issue last year. Mm. Um, into some more plyometric type exercises, you know, A-skips, A-skips with a hold, uh, these things we call larries, which are like single leg um, hops with like a pickup with the free leg. So you're trying to like yeah. pick your free leg up. Yeah. Um, you know, run-throughs, build it up, sometimes some speed bounds, some speed hops, just things to hmm. get yourself firing. And then we build up sort of three to four run-throughs mm. before spikes. Okay. So you do all that stuff in flats? All in flats, yeah. yeah. I always warm up in flats. Yeah. It's funny because when you, when you get in with the relay team, what we do is, before a competition or a training session, we'll, do, we'll always do some baton drills mm. together as a team unit. Then we split off, do our own individual warm-ups. Because obviously the sports are individual, so everybody's got their own system that works. Mm. And some guys will do shorter warm-ups, some guys will do long ones. I'd say my warm-up's one of the long, longer ones. Okay. But I've never seen a warm-up as long as Trey Williams. Is that right? Yeah, because he, would, he used to take forever. Yeah. So we'd get to the track, you know, so early so that he could See. get through everything that he needed. And, uh, you know, that's fine. We'd just chill out and he'd warm up. Perfect. We'll talk a little bit more about Trey Williams later, actually. I've mm. got a few questions about him. But... Mm. Um, yeah, I might, I might get the boys from Nor get into a few Larry skips. Yeah. We'll work on that later. Yeah. <laughs> right? Athletics and um, particularly the 100, I guess, has a fairly checkered history in terms of performance-enhancing drugs. So do you personally think the penalties for these offences are harsh enough? I... Yeah, I mean, I think that... It depends... It depends. I think repeat offenders mm-hmm. need should be getting. You know, if you're a repeat offender, yeah. like lifetime bans should be on the cards for sure, and they are. Mm. They are now because they weren't previously, right? 
I've because you've got a repeat offender out there competing. Yeah. Right in Gatlin. Yeah. But I mean, there's there is. It's very case by case. Mm. It's like anything, I suppose. I mean, it depends because people talk about drugs in sport, but people don't tend to discern between different levels of culpability like they do for other criminal offences, right? So, like, if somebody takes a cold and flu tablet Mm. and gets done for pseudoephedrine, you know, arguably, like, you know, as an athlete, you're still responsible for that, 100%. Mm. And you should definitely be sanctioned for it. But that's still worlds apart from, like, you know, sophisticated anabolic steroids. Systemic drug, though. Exactly, yeah. It's completely different. And, like, I think that there is a different level of culpability. It's like murder and manslaughter. Exactly. It's like negligence. It's like, you know, if a deliberate act legally attracts a different level of culpability for a... than a, than you know, a negligent act. So, So do you think the... I guess the sanctions are not far enough apart then between those two different types of performance-enhancing drug taking? Well, I mean, you see people who get done for pseudoephedrine serve nine months, mm-hmm. you know, a nine-month ban. Mm-hmm. So I think that the system... I think that the system discerns between the two. Maybe not the public. But it's more the eyes of the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. more the eyes of the public, I think. Mm. And look, for you personally, how hard is it to line up to line up next to someone who's rumored to be or known to be on the gear? Then, like, I would just never think about it. Mm-hmm. It's only ever crossed my mind once that I've competed, mm-hmm. and thought, you know, I wonder if anybody here's on stuff. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, when you when you stand behind the blocks, everybody has to run a hundred meters, of course. So, and if you're focusing on somebody else, you you know, you're not in the right headspace anyway. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I just think all you can do is you focus on the things you can control, mm-hmm. which is your own training. I think as well, whenever people are, if people like a doping, that is time and effort and energy that they are putting into that, mm. which is time and effort and energy that they could be putting into other elements of their training or focusing on other things to make themselves better in a legitimate way. Mm. And I imagine it also attracts a lot of stress because you'd be constantly worried about getting caught. Yeah. So at the end of the day... Freaking out all the time. Well, yeah. Plus stress. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's not great for injury no. and, you know, cortisol. That's right. Performance. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, all I can do is run my own race and focus on myself. Of course. So whatever other people do doesn't concern me. What about... Uh, what do you think about Mac Horton's recent stance in the swimming world? Do you think, you know... Those two worlds should be combined. The, the, the political stance, I guess, coming out in, in sport. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, good on Mac Horton. I think that's fair enough. And he's been vocal on that in the past and he's attracted a lot of abuse for it. And I think some people criticised him, saying that he had a double standard. And uh, I don't think that there is some sort of malicious double standard. Mm. But I think that, you know, he's just standing up for what he believes and I think that that's good. I think he's been consistent with his stance. And he's been very consistent, yeah. Mm. Very I don't consistent. think it's a double standard there. Yeah. No, no, I don't think so. No, I, I applaud him. I think that's really impressive. It's a pretty brave thing to do. Yeah, and people, you know, like sometimes people in the media and, and sometimes punters say, you know, oh, he you know, he just wanted the limelight and that sort of thing, which is just a lot of crap because, mm. like, it's not like he has anything to... He doesn't have anything significant to gain except no. criticism. No. And, all he, and what he stands to lose is quite significant because... He's been completely abused online, mm-hmm. you know. It's bizarre, that abuse. I don't understand that. 
Like yeah. he's, he's, it's he's strange. Typical of the Aussie battler standing up for himself. Yeah. You would have thought people would jump in behind him personally, but yeah. Anyway, what do I know? <laughs> so, mate, you look pretty unflappable on the start line in some of the footage that I've seen. So, how important is being in the right frame of mind for optimum sprinting performance? It's so important. I learned that last this. I learned that this year, where post Commonwealth Games, I had sort of almost six months of injury, just dealing with this sort of persistent issue with my heel and my Achilles, and I hadn't got through much specific training load. Like I got through heaps of submaximal training loads. So I was sort of fit and conditioned, but I wasn't running quick, you know. And that specificity is king for me. So it wasn't until you know, I injured my hamstring in, I think, it was like November. Through December, my training was really ad hoc, not great, not ideal. It started to get better. I hadn't put spikes on. Mm. Like, from the Commonwealth Games in April, I didn't touch spikes until the 20th of January. Really? Yeah, and I was going through my training diary the other day, my training diary the other day and looking at that. But then by mid-March, I'd run PB 1008. Mm-hmm. Um, and going into that race... I'd had a shit six months, but the past six weeks had gone perfect. So I felt really good. And, uh, you know, I was excited to run against uh, Yoshihide Kiryu, the Japanese runner who's gone sub 10. And I was just out there for scalps. And I felt great. I felt totally, um, you know, undefeatable. And, and I ran big PB off the worst six months of training I had to date and that said a lot to me that's something that's given me a lot of confidence post-nationals this year mm. just dealing with a few little niggles and things like that just needs to come together at the right time yeah once it all comes together and you don't need long as long as you keep it ticking away six to twelve weeks of work mm. and you can get in a great shape okay. if you do things right I like that Matt, have you got a specific routine that you follow on or before the start line is there any sort of I don't know, crazy superstition involved there or you just like to follow the same process? No, I'm not superstitious. And, and, and you know Dad and you know that he's a pretty stoic, cynical sort of <laughs> bloke. We get on really well. <laughs> <laughs> we have a great chat. And I think that uh, I'm a bit like Dad in that sense. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I was always pretty OCD. Um, so I always sort of had to be very aware of bad habits you know like if I touch the desk with my left hand I'd have to touch it with my right okay. and end on even numbers and things like that so I mean that when I was a kid mum was always saying like you know Rowan is that a habit and then I'd have to be very like attuned to that and then sort of focus on not developing that habit yeah, right. if that makes sense so you so, never bit your nails as a kid then no <laughs> and to this day like I've never like bitten my nails okay. and you know and things like that and I think first of all taught me a lot about willpower mm-hmm. And uh, Dad's the kind of guy who, you know, used to, when, he, when he was younger, he smoked a lot and then, you know, quit on a dime, cold turkey, mm-hmm. just because he's got, you know, a completely iron will. And, um, and hamstrings, iron hamstrings. <laughs> he's not very flexible. <laughs> but um, for that reason, I've always shunned superstitions because I just think that it could very easily get out of control. Yeah. And I think that... You know, I don't want a crutch because no. I want to be able to turn up and everything everything to go wrong one day and I can still get to the start line and switch on and run my best race. Mm-hmm. So I don't want a crutch. I love that. That's great. 
Mate, what about uh, during the actual 100 metres itself? So I've, I've heard runners talk about a very well choreographed, I don't know, 40-odd steps where they know exactly what's happening at each time during the race. How many individual parts do you break 100 metres down into? We break it down into the first 30 metres. And when I do accelerations, mm-hmm. it's never over longer than 30 metres. Mm-hmm. And then we'll break it into that sort of... 30 to 60 which has always been the best part of my race that transition like even if I don't get a great start I'll always transition 30 to 60 well really well to top speed and then speed endurance is just focusing on that last 40 metres I'd say in the past the first the weakest part of my race has been the first 10 metres and the last 20 so we've just worked on a few things to improve that Mm. because my top speed is up there with the best guys in the world and I have, you know, all the biomechanic data I've done on that with LeVeg, you know, the, the velocity laser mm-hmm. that has, can tell me that. But it's just about getting to that top speed more quickly mm-hmm. and then holding it for longer and then dissipating more slowly. Yeah. When does the top speed tend to start to dip? At what point in the race for you? I hear top speed at about that... About 45 metres, mm-hmm. and I hold it pretty well through to sort of 75, okay. and then it starts to dip. But when I ran 10 I hit above 11 metres per second velocity earlier. Like I think it was like at 40 metres, mm-hmm. and then I didn't dip below 11 metres per second velocity the whole race. Until the end. Yeah, and I hit my best ever at like 60. I hit something like, I think it was 11.8 metres second velocity, yeah. and then. You know, the difference between a 10:30 run and a 10:08 run is that I might in both races I'll hit 11.7 meters, per, you know, velocity. Yeah. But it's it's around that. It's the 10 meter increments around that, mm-hmm. um, and how much that drops off. Yeah, yeah. I love how specific that is. It's yeah, it's unreal. very technical. It's unreal. <laughs> Mate, do, do you actually know how many steps it takes you to get down the track? Yeah, uh, I think 40. Do you know how many Usain Bolt takes? Like 42 or something? Yeah, I, I wanted to say somewhere in the 30s. I, I don't think it's that low. I think, I think it takes me something like 45, 46. Okay. Um, I've always, for me, I've always naturally got really good length. Mm-hmm. I think because I've been like a strength and power runner. Mm-hmm. But my cadence hasn't been as great mm-hmm. as somebody like Trey. Yeah. You know, he just he just rolls so over. This is where quick so off the mark quickly. stuff comes from the cadence yeah. there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Whereas we've just never really done a lot to train that. Mm-hmm. I think because it's harder to get length than cadence because you can train the cadence, but the length is really technical. It yeah. takes time. Yeah. So, you know, I have the length naturally. <clears throat> work on the cadence, but not without. You know, you don't want to sacrifice the yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, just spin the wheels and go nowhere. Tricky balance. The road runner. That's right, yeah. Okay. You don't want to be the road runner. You don't want to be the road runner. <laughs> no one wants to be the road runner. <laughs> so, mate, it, it's often said that sprinters don't hit their peak until later in life. So, Linford Christie won the Olympics at 32 years old. Mm. As a 21-year-old running 10.08, how much faster can you get? Well, I don't like to put a ceiling on it. Because or a floor, or a floor. Yeah, good. Definitely don't want to put a floor <laughs> on it. <laughs> but but yeah, certainly not a ceiling because sometimes you just surprise yourself. And that was the case in Brisbane when I ran ten o. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Murph and I both knew I was in good shape, 
But if you'd asked for the raise, neither of us would have said 10 odd. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah. no way. Like, that was my opening 100 for the year. I'd run a 1400 before, like, I'd barely compete. I'd run 1400, it was okay. 1200, it was, that was disappointing the Mm. week before in Perth. And I was very disappointed. I ran 2071, which was a PB, but like, from where I'd been at in training, mm-hmm. it sh- I should have run so much better. Yeah. And then a week later, I went to Brisbane and ran 10 out, and I, all of a sudden, it was just like, you know, I felt like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. So I was very surprised by that. So I'd never want to put a limit on what I can run. You know, I, like, of course I want to go sub. Yeah. You know, I want to break the Australian record, 993. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can do that at the right time you know in, in an Olympics mm-hmm. you'll make a final Plenty and you know if you run 993 in an Olympic final to break the Australian record you know in this day and age that could medal yeah who knows yeah who knows who knows it's a lot more even now it's a lot more open there's a, f- there's, there's a couple of guys running very quick mm-hmm. but there's no more Usain Bolt yeah. yeah and it opens it up it's a good time Tokyo yeah that's right yeah I love it Mate, have you got your uh, eye on the longest standing record in Aussie men's track? Peter, <laughs> Peter Norman's Norman. 2006 in the 200 at the 68 Mexico Olympics. You think that's, ach- that's achievable? I would, I would hope so. I've, I, I think that I could be a very good 200 metre runner. And I think it's there for me, but I've just never really trained for it. And I haven't run that great for the 200 like I've run 2071 mm. and a wind assist to 2054 but you know if I've run if I'm a 1008 guy I should be running 2020 no problem mm-hmm. and the 200's open globally too like aside from Noah Lyles you know if you run 2020 you'll make a final mm. and uh, you know if you get down to sub 2006 like that could medal as well mm. I think in Rio Christophe Lemaitre won bronze running 20.10 okay. or 20.1 something give or take mm from memory so the 200's open as well um, I'd like to run more twos but it's just it takes more work so I think that's the sort of thing that just takes time Yeah. whereas I've always been able to get through speed I've always been able to get up to speed very quickly mm. you know it doesn't take me a lot of speed work to start getting in a great shape but to be able to be conditioned enough to run twos back up races and be robust that takes time for me and so do you think that's a uh do you think that's an age thing or do you think that's an ability to run, like you were saying, maybe three to four quality sessions a week for a period of time yeah. there? I think it's a training age thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think for me over the next few years, if I can just stay uninjured for a year, two years, hmm. I'll go from strength to strength. But uh, in terms of Peter Norman's record, mm-hmm. I was having this discussion with someone once, it might have been Murph, you know, what would mean more, Pat Johnson's 993 or Peter Norman's 2006? I think that's the question and I yeah. think that you can't go past 993 because sub 10 is just yeah. you know like it's just it's, it's everything you want as a 100 metre sprinter and it's more universally renowned surely and it's the 100 metres yeah you know it's the it's the blue ribboned event yeah no matter what people say or <laughs> but, and I guess people that know what they're talking about would probably say Peter Norman that's yeah. the but, but 2006 from 68 68 yeah the oldest Australian record now since Joe Deng bro yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Bell's record. mate of yours isn't it Joe Deng yeah he's a good guy Joe yeah, yeah. he's a good guy and um, 
that would mean the world. I mean, Peter Norman is one of my all-time favourite athletes. Mm. Great like, story. Great story, yeah. And just over here at Hazelhurst Gallery, is a, there was at least a, a big piece, a big tribute to him mm. that I saw once, which was really cool. Mm. And, um, yeah, that would mean a lot. He's a brave fella, that's for sure. If, mm. if, if anyone wants to look into a... An amazing Australian athlete. Check out Peter Norman. Mm. He's got a book out as well that I think his nephew wrote. Yeah, 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 I've read it too. So, mate, everyone's heard the tales of Usain Bolt eating chicken nuggets during competition. So how important is diet to you, sort of in general, on race day? Very important in general. Mm-hmm. Mm, doesn't matter so much on race day. Mm. I think that in the sprint events. I mean, in general, you know, I, I see a dietitian and she writes up plan I've got a weekly plan based around my sessions and it's just food for fuel Mm -hmm. you know not food for enjoyment or anything like that so I and she factors in different things and you know I've got time for like a date night I've got time to you know (laughs) treat myself a a little bit on a weekend but by and large you know it's quite strict and that's just because in the sprint events power to weight is king Mm. so you can't carry fat you've got to be as lean as possible Mm -hmm. and uh you know, like Murph, when he was a triple jumper, at his leanest was like for eight sites, mm. 27 mils, which is absurd. Oh, p- pinch test, you know. For, yeah, yeah. for um, skin folds. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With calipers, yeah. Wow. For eight sites, not Yeah, similar. I've seen a couple of old photos of him. You can definitely see the little striations in yeah, the muscle yeah, going that's on. Right. His black and white shoes are 96 before the Atlanta Olympics. He's a ripped up dude. He was pretty shredded then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've got to be lean, as lean as possible. You've got to be as light as possible, as strong as possible. Okay. So, diet's king. But on race day, it's just all about feeling good yeah. and feeling light. So, you know, I've heard... I know there are some coaches out there who say, you know, you're very strict with the diet, mm. but the night before a race, you can eat whatever you want. You can have a block of chocolate, whatever's going to make you feel good. Mm. Because when you line up to race, it's all about how you feel. It's all about your headspace. Mm. And at that time, you're not going to change anything physiologically. No, 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 not really. I guess you can you can hold on to more fluid or you can hold on to more... Yeah, fluid would be the only thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so what makes you feel good on race day then? What do you like to eat? To be honest, I just eat stuff that feels light. Mm. You know, veggies, chicken breast, stuff that's easily digestible and, you know, not going to make me feel sick. Yeah. You don't want to go on the toilet just before the 100, right? No, that's right. And I won't drink heaps of fluids because, you know, I want to be, like, well enough hydrated, but I'm not running a marathon. No. So I want to be light. And that's my number one priority on race day, just being light. Okay. And what about if you got to back up and do two, maybe three races in a day? Is that a consideration? The energy systems there? You've got to eat after racing? Yeah, it is. You just don't want to feel cooked, especially in the weather, like if it's hot. So I will eat, yeah, I'll eat more, more carbohydrate, Mm. that sort of thing. And I worked out with a dietitian. But it's definitely considered. Okay. Yeah. Is is there a temptation to just go and eat chicken nuggets because Usain Bolt does Mm. it or what? No. no, but having said that, the reason he did that, from what I've heard, is that the that was before in Beijing, mm-hmm. the Beijing Olympics, and he didn't feel comfortable eating Chinese food yeah, because he wasn't used to it, yeah. and he didn't know what was in it, and mm-hmm. he didn't want it to upset his stomach. So, what did he know? Chicken nuggets. Yeah, you know. So it was actually like it. It sounds ridiculous, but no, it was no, no. it was no. for performance. You know, yeah. it was, he did that with performance in mind, not in spite of it. It's genius. It's kind of like Shane Warne shipping a whole bunch of baked beans <laughs> to, to India. Very similar athletes. 
Warning, yeah, warning very comparable. <laughs> it's about the same. <laughs> what about um? What about supplementation? There's a whole bunch of gear out there at the moment. I shouldn't use the word gear. Actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No. A whole bunch of different stuff, sort of reporting to be performance enhancing in a legal sense. Do you take much in the way of supplementation? Yeah, I like supplements, but the first thing is that I always make sure that they're Australian made, and I always make sure they're like reputable brands, mm-hmm. and I always make sure that they're third-party independent batch tested. So I think like has to do batch testing and trusted in sport do batch testing. So those are the two key things. Because the first thing is you don't want to you know you don't want to make the mistake of taking some crap tainted supplement and fail a drug test mm-hmm. and end up all over the papers. Nah. Mum, mum's not going to like that. So. No, no, <laughs> no. That's going to be no good. So, um, yeah. So I just make sure it's all quality. Yeah. And then after that, I take supplements that I'll get recommended by my dietitian. Mm-hmm. And mainly, it's focused mm-hmm. on uh, of not getting sick. Mm-hmm. So just like vitamins, probiotic sort of stuff. Yeah, probiotics like gut health. I think is really untapped. I think yeah. tip of the iceberg. You know, gut health now what we know about is just the tip of the iceberg is from performance. So probiotics and even just things like kombucha and drinks like that, you yeah. know, that have probiotic in a you know prebiotics as well as the other thing comes from certain fiber sources. Um, and you know, vitamin C, zinc, just not to get sick because the biggest impediment to performance is mistraining days. Mm. And that comes through injury and sickness. And um, you know, like Last year after the Commonwealth Games, I was getting sick a lot. And it was because I was, you know, I was probably going out and partying too much. And I was in a bit of a, you know, I was just had some downtime. It was time I could do that, so that was fine. Mm-hmm. But I kept getting sick. And as soon as you clean that up, and diet's the number one thing. Like, diet makes up the 95%. The last 5%, yeah. you might squeeze out of supplements. supplements yeah. yeah. But then, I mean, there's other things. I know creatine's really popular. Bad alanine's quite popular. Um, but you're you know, not taking them specifically? Um... I've used those two on and off mm. in the past. Yeah, just depending. I mean, it, it's also like something like creatine can affect your weight yeah. because you retain more water. Fluid retention. Yeah. And my number one thing is just staying light. So of course. you weigh up the benefit. But at the end of the day, I'm in an event where, like, I missed the Commonwealth Games final by one one thousandth of a second, like less than one percent, right? So, and if I know that from where I am, ten oh eight, if I improve by less than one percent, I'll run sub ten. Mm. If I improve by less than two percent. You know, be able to run nine, eight, yeah. and that'll win a medal any day of the week. Yeah. So I'm always looking for areas to squeeze out that last one or two percent. Okay. So I think it's almost sort of negligent to neglect those areas. Absolutely. You're just doing yourself a disservice if you don't look down every possible legal avenue. No, I totally agree. Uh, and in that vein, I've got a question from a friend of the show, Brad Glennon. Uh, do you like to take? in beetroot juice before competition <laughs> I've tried it I've got a funny story with this actually when I was in high school I had to run at our CAS carnival I had to run uh, 400 and I wasn't I wasn't fit for it mm. and I'd heard about beetroot juice so I thought oh. Oh, I'll take some beetroot juice so but I didn't realise you were supposed to take those little concentrated shots that you can buy so I got mum to drain a tin of beetroot into a bottle. Oh, just the vinegar, like... Like the juice out of a bottle of tin beetroot. <laughs> so I'm talking like, I don't know, how many mils is in a Gatorade bottle? Like 600, 600 mils? Yeah. So I filled up one of them and I went to the showers and I'd run a one and a two already and I went to the showers and necked it and I was like almost throwing up in the shower 
like it just was disgusting. So I next six hundred mils of tinned beetroot juice, and then went and ran a four hundred and just threw up everywhere. It was the worst. and I was like, this supplement sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't dilate my blood yeah. vessels at all. Yeah. This is rubbish. Yeah. I, think, I think Brad thought that he was pissing blood after the race. Yeah, and, that's uh, the thing as well. That's pretty intimidating as well. <laughs> Nobody tells you about that when you before you use it. But, I mean, I haven't used beetroot juice in a long time okay. um, because I think there are, I think things like uh, bicarb are better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and stuff. But bicarb is really tough on your gut. Mm-hmm. So you have to dose it perfectly and you have to time it perfectly. Right. Interesting. Mate, um, you're resisting the temptation to sample one of these delightful Sydney brewing ales. <laughs> How long does the self-imposed booze ban last for leading up to Doha? Um, well, it, it will be through to Doha. I think when I have times where I can go out and have a casual drink, I will. Even during the season, sometimes I have a casual drink. After I ran 10 LA, Luke mm. Matthews and I went out and had a pint. We had a couple of pints, actually, mm. at, a, you know, at a pub. And, uh, you know, it was nice just to chill out. I knew that I wouldn't be... I knew that after I ran a PB, I would be doing not a lot of training for the next week. So I knew that I could get away with it. And uh, sometimes you've got to treat yourself a little bit like that. But you don't want to bullshit yourself at the same time. So then when, it, when it's time to flick the switch and focus, you know, I won't touch it. Just because, especially in the past, I had to deal with inflammations, tendon inflammations, joint inflammations. And I just don't want to do anything or consume anything that's going to uh, make that worse. Totally. So, yeah, I switch it on and off. You know, I like a drink as much as anybody. Well, there's a few guys that listen to this show that probably like it more. I yeah, oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not as much as anybody, but you know, like I, I like it a lot. <laughs> good, good, good answer. But yeah, I mean, I like I, I wouldn't have had a drink now. Uh, in in two or three months. Okay. But you know, I've got another two months before Doha, so I, I might go half the year without a drink. That's fine. I'm fine with that. You haven't bitten your nails, you haven't had a drink. Yeah, that's right. It's like a saint. I just go... I mean, I still go to the pub, you know, like once a week, I have this one night of the week, I'll go and catch up at, at, at the pub with uh, a group of my mates from uni, very good mates, and we do this weekly, and I'll just have a soda, water, and, you know, whatever, so... Yeah, Fair enough, too. With a bit of lime. <laughs> so boring. Things up a it's so bit. boring, yeah. <laughs> Mate, as, as Australia's fastest man in, like, over 15 years... Is there much in the way of corporate or association support out there for you? There are things there, but number one is performance at championships. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that we'll revisit after Worlds yeah. and leading into the Olympics. But yeah, that's the number one thing. Okay. The thing as well is you got to prove yourself. I mean, I ran, I mean, yeah, I ran 10.08, mm-hmm. but I did it once. Mm-hmm. And I've been a little bit injured since then. I haven't really competed much since then yeah. at, well, at all. So, you know, I got to prove myself and I know that you got to back things up, mm-hmm. you know, statistical outliers don't mean, you know, it doesn't mean anything in this sport. As far as sponsorship is concerned, you mean? No. Well, I think for me as an athlete, you know, like I, I ran 1008, yeah, but I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not a 1008 guy until I average 1008. Really? If that makes sense. You know, like I'd say I'm a 10-1 guy right now. Okay. Or a 10-2 guy right now. And I think that I could have had... I think I could have had a much... I think this year I could have averaged that sort of around 10-10. Mm-hmm. I think I was in shape, you know, if I'd stayed healthy. But I just haven't been able to race, so I guess I'll never know. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I guess we'll see over the next year or so. Mate, I'm just going to go ahead and call you a 10 08 guy. That's all the same <laughs> to you because you bloody are. <laughs> anyway, mate, what, who looks after your shoes then? Like, yeah, so how did I look after me? Okay. Yeah, how did I look after me? Yeah. Which is good and they've been very generous. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Have you got a, like, little carbon plates sitting underneath those things that you wear on the track? <laughs> or how does it work with the, with the spikes? Um, well, the spikes that I run in are the, like the Adidas SPs, mm. which are like the top end sprint spike. So they're great. They're just they're stiff. Mm-hmm. The plate's really stiff, which is good for us because you, you want maximum energy return. Yeah. And uh, they're light, you know. Perfect. That's all you look for in a spike. Like it's, it's pretty simple at the end of the simple. day. Simple. I love it. I was looking through your Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's pretty, you know, there's a bit there. There's a nickname in there, Skuck Speedy. Is that a piss take? <laughs> well, one of my mates was pissed when he wrote that. He wrote the Wikipedia page. <laughs> no, well, the, the Wikipedia page appeared one day out okay. of nowhere. And I don't know who made it, but I guess that's just the way the internet works. But one of my mates from college wrote that one night when he was out on the, on the, on the piss. <laughs> it just screamed... You've been hacked. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny because it was one of my other mates wrote something else, like something smart-ass, and then it got deleted. Like, it got cleaned up by someone who obviously moderates, goes through and just moderates okay. Wikipedia. And I don't even know how it works, but that little bit about Skuck Speedy got the So this is bullshit. Stayed. There's no Skuck Speedy. No, no, okay, I've never good. been called that in my life. Shocking nickname. That's I good. would hate to be called that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of my mates being smart-ass. Alright, good, good. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> I've got a actually got a listener question in too. So yeah. this is from uh, from Scoot, hashtag Scoot, or I don't know how it works, but Scoot anyway. Yeah. So you you missed out on the finals of the Com Games by such a small margin in 2018. Do you think doing more bench press might help that dip at the <laughs> line and shave off valuable time? <laughs> That's a good question because. <laughs> I love doing my upper body work, but, <laughs> but most ban me from it because okay. it's all he doesn't want to put on too much weight. So I try and do bench press, but it's hard because I can only do it when he's down the other end of the gym and not watching when he's not looking. So <laughs> get it unquick. It's hard to get enough in as much as I like doing it behind his back. <laughs> yeah, right. So maybe not enough time to work on the chest circumference. To yeah, just get that's that right. chest in on that's the right. line. But like I said, you know, sprinters are just precious and. It's, about, it's all about looking good, isn't it? At the end of the day. That's right. It's all it's about. It's perfect. <laughs> but, I mean, did, did you expect to move so far through the competition in, in that particular meet? Did you, did you meet your expectations? No. No? I expected to make the final. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wanted to win a medal. Like, I was running to win a medal, and I think that on paper, I probably wasn't a contender for a medal. But I honestly believed that I was. And I wouldn't have been there if I didn't think that I was. Um... The thing is, like, once you get into a final, three out of eight guys are going to win medals. Mm. You know, and they're just giving away three medals. Like, three people are going to get them. So, why not? Just give them away. They're just giving them away. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and Murphy said to me that year, he said, at the start of the season, we sat down and I said, what do I need to do to win a medal at the Commonwealth Games? And he said, well, first things first, you've got to make a final. So you need to be able to run your season average in the semis to make the final. Mm. So you need your season average to be good enough to make the final. Mm. And my season average last year was 10.26. That's what you ran. I ran 10.26 mm-hmm. in the semi. And 10.26 was the slowest time to make the final. 
So he was bang on, except for the fact that I just got out dipped by, you know, the thousandth of a second. Just like a bench press, though, I think. Just bench press, yeah, but i got to work on my dip more. <laughs> but also, when I went back and looked at it, you know, I've been, something I've been notorious for is running a big S line in my lane, and sometimes I even go out of my lane and line to line. And, you know, like, at the end of that, you might run an extra 60 centimetres further than everybody else. Yeah. You know, and that's, like, nearly 0.1. Nice. So, you know, that turns a 10-2 run into a 10-1 run. Mm. That's the difference between making the final and not being there. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you straighten up? Uh, I just work on strength disparities side to side, okay. hip extension, hip flexion, you know, strength mobility. Mm. Just make sure everything's really equal. Yeah. And then just uh, focusing on running straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> but it's harder than it sounds. Oh, I'm sure. It's really sure. hard. Mate, yeah, I do 100k events, so you start yeah. running side to side, yeah. you run in an extra 10 or 15k, yeah. so no, I'm right. aware of the straight. <laughs> That's right, it's so important. Mate, um, you guys finished fourth in the uh, 401, they're in a pretty sharp time, 38 58. Mm. Do you think Australia has the makings of a really strong relay team in the coming years? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's a lot of young guys running really well, and we've got more depth now than I think we've had in, the, in, in, in a long time. Mm. So, and the cult, I think most importantly, the culture is really strong now. You know, everybody there involved in the relay team wants to be there. Everybody values the relay. You know, I think in the past, maybe, you know, like a long time ago, guys just wanted to run for themselves and the relay was their backup. But now, everybody's sort of switched on enough to know that you have to run 9 9 to be a world class 100 meter contender. But the four of us together could win medals in a relay. So, you know, a medal's a medal. Yeah, absolutely. How, how much training do you guys do in that in that sense? We do camps throughout the year. You know, we might do three or four camps a year, go up to the Gold Coast or Canberra or whatever it might be. Depends year to year. The, the, I think the biggest challenge with a relay program is that, you know, in this sport, um, guys get injured mm-hmm. and get niggly. You've got to be at 100% all the time. So you have a... Often there is... Uh, a real turnover of, of bodies mm. in the team so you really want that consistency you just want guys to stay healthy all the time you know which is tough toughest sprinters toughest Tough, sprinters yeah. bunch of prima donnas that's right yeah. if you're at 99% like you won't even race <laughs> but that's the thing if you're at 99% you know that's a meter yeah so yeah. you're going to get shown up you're going to get rolled for sure so there's no point yeah yeah for sure Mate, look, apart from a really impressive performance on the track at the Com Games, how was the experience of village life and being part of the Aussie team for you? Yeah, it was good. It was cool, really cool. I, that was my first time in, in Commonwealth Games Village. Mm-hmm. I've been in a village environment at the World Uni Games in the year before. Yeah. That was cool. But the Commonwealth Games was something else. And I'm told the Olympics is something else again. Mm. So... The village is great, but the thing about the village is there's all these really fun communal spaces, and there's this awesome dining hall that's open 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. But you really only use a small percentage of it yeah. because, you know, I'd stay in my room the whole time, and I'd go to the pool, and I'd go to the little coffee cart, and I'd go for walks. But you know, I'm trying to stay out of the sun because I don't want to get dehydrated. You know, I'm staying away from the dining hall because I don't want to. It's easy to get bored and just go to the dining hall. Mm-hmm. And eat food and put on weight so I'm just staying away from that I'm eating the foods I normally would which are pretty bland and you know just healthy and you know 
I'm not going to the games room because I don't want to go somewhere where there's hundreds of people passing through every day mm-hmm. or thousands of people. Get, get sick. You know, touching everything, getting sick. Yeah. You know, it's, disease just spreads like wildfire. So, you know, I won't go near those places. Yeah, yeah. So you, it, it's like you're in this place where it's really fun, <laughs> but you have to be ultra professional you're all the time. Disneyland, but you can't go on the rides. Exactly. Perfect. Which is pretty boring. It's pretty like, great. But the no, thing no is, once it's done, on Mickey Mouse all the time. That's that's right. That sucks. That's right. <laughs> You're exactly right. But once competition's over, it's great. You know, okay. like you can just enjoy the dining hall. You can you can you know muck around, go out, whatever. It's very fun. And I guess with the the program schedule like it is, athletics is always pretty late, so you don't get a lot of time towards the back end. Well, yeah, especially with the relay. Yeah, it's always the, at the end, the last event, sort yeah. of right before the closing ceremony whereas say the swimmers are always early in the program so. swimmers they get it all don't they it's easy so life's easy. good life's good for a swimmer so easy that's why we're not swimming at its podcast it's yeah. just too easy aside from aside from the fact that you know it's a lo- <laughs> it's a lonely one staring at that black line all day oh mate can you just imagine <laughs> nah yeah, I could never be a swimmer not for me mate <laughs> this, you, you got too much junk in the trunk you just, you just sink <laughs> I'd sink yeah sink. I'm a terrible swimmer nah I'm disgraceful <laughs> <laughs> so mate yeah being such highly tuned machines surely you guys are all a bunch of lightweights on the piss though right after competition <laughs> Yeah, well, it's so funny because when everybody goes out afterwards, it's like you're talking about a group of people who might not have had a single drink, Mm -hmm. you know, for 12 months. Yeah. So it's like you just see a completely different side to people. And yeah, it doesn't take much. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's so funny, honestly. But for me, those are always like the most fun nights out because I'm with... You know, it's sort of fun going out with these people who are ultra professional and then can just get really silly. <laughs> and you don't see it that often. That's great. I love it. So, is there a bit of an unwritten rule not to get stuck in a drinking game with the shot putters or the hammer guys then? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, that's just common sense, right? Yeah. I know some of the, some of the throwers don't mind mojitos. Really? But, um, yeah, just like... Some of the male them. throwers don't mind yeah, mojitos? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really? Funny. I think Matt, like if you got Matt Denny, if you saw Matt Denny at the bar, he'd probably, I don't know what he'd be drinking. Maybe Rumbos. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> uh, from Alara. Probably an angry young man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> Mate, we've previously had a thing on the show where we'd measure a runner's quad circumference as a bit of a piss take. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've competed for a number of years against a bloke named Trey Quadzilla Williams. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever measure his thighs? No, never. But they are huge and like more impressive in real life than what you'd than what they are on Instagram. Yeah, really? Yeah, they are huge. <laughs> so how intimidating was it to line up next to those things? <laughs> um, no, not that intimidating. I mean, he's not like... He's not that tall. No, he looks tiny. He's Yeah, he's not that tall, but he's he's very muscular. He's jacked mm-hmm. and he's lean. He's always been he's always been the kind of athlete who's in great shape all the time. Mm-hmm. So the thing about Trey is you always know he will always turn it on for especially for the major. Mm-hmm. He'll run well. And uh, you know, this last year, he's just a great competitor. Like I remember this year he had a torn hamstring and he came down to nationals and most people didn't think he was gonna race because of his hammy. Mm-hmm. You know, but he turns up to win. Like he wasn't just turning up to race. Mm-hmm. And you know, he went through the final and ran like 10-2 and 
with a with a he torn his hamstring like not long before, and I think um, he'd been interviewed and was said like, oh, you know, it's so nice that you're here, you know, so happy that, for you that having made the final, mm-hmm. and you could see on his face he was like, what do you mean? Like I'm here to win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I got a lot of respect for that sort of attitude. I like that a lot. Well, I guess if that's he... like Sally Pearson, right? Like she, if she's gonna wrap, if she's gonna turn up, she's turning up to win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very professional. It's good. It's the it's the antithesis of the prima donna, isn't it? You that's know, right. Yeah, just getting it done. Just getting it done. Yeah, that's right. And so if Trey Williams has got a little hamstring tear, he's probably got a fair bit more hamstring to cover it. So yeah, that's it's not right. a big deal, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, or he just starts running on his quads or something. <laughs> so hasn't he started training with the Queensland Reds? Is that right? No, he's training with Australian Rugby Sevens down rugby here, sevens. down here in Sydney. Right, 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 yeah. right. And so, has anyone from Rugby Australia ever approached you, for, at least for your well-polished social media skills? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, after Nationals, I think they reached out to a few guys. Okay. And Trey was one of them. And I think they were they're probably always more serious about recruiting Trey than me. Really? Because Trey's got a pretty good rugby highlights reel from high school okay. on YouTube. I think Trey was probably a better footy player than I ever was. Yeah. But they did because, you know, in the US you've got a couple of guys who are really quick mm. who'd never played rugby before. So maybe they're not, they're not the best technical rugby players in the world, mm. but they're just quick. Mm. They're powerful. They're explosive. And, uh, you know, you can throw somebody a ball and teach them a bit of dexterity and teach mm. them the rules. But on a field like that, with that much open space, if you're quick enough, you just make guys look pedestrian. Yeah. So they reached out and, uh, you know, I sort of politely declined. You know, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, rugby was always my first love. Yeah, yeah. But... You know, I'm committed now to this track field and I'm committed to Murph and what we're working on together. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is just what I want now, so. Yeah, fantastic. Very focused, mate. So, so where can the listeners follow you on the road to Doha then? Well, I mean, I'm on Instagram, which is Ron Browning. Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use that much. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. It's going to yeah. die out, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, no. no one uses Twitter. Probably Instagram. It's probably the one. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah. No worries. Mate, I've got one more listener question before we finish sure. up. This is uh, actually from Hugh Browning. <laughs> and he simply asked, when are you giving me your Xbox? <laughs> We've got one Xbox at home. And I've got, I live out of home and I've got my own Xbox that I never use. And Hugh and Dad, Hugh's my 14-year-old brother, they're always fighting over who gets to use the Xbox because they both want to play COD or Tom Clancy's or whatever. And only one can play it at a time. Your old man's fighting with your young brother. Over he plays, I think he plays way more than Hugh does. When he was on holidays from work, he was parked up playing, playing Xbox all the time. That was Hugh's biggest complaint. So that's why Hugh wants mine, so that they can system link oh, right. from across right. the house. It's important stuff. <laughs> I'll bring it home next week. There you go, Hugh. You heard it here first, mate. (laughs) What a little smart ass. Well, mate, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure the listeners will get plenty out of that. Good luck with the next training block, and uh, we'll all be following you over in Doha. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. No worries. Race well, mate. Thank you. Hopefully that was recording. Fail, fail, fail.